Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with the news. In city planning news, Castle Rock needs an entirely new city and plan after a series of explosions... (laughs) My apologies, listeners. My colleagues have finally come back to work and they... Uh, fun prank. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hey there, Constant Readers. And today we are covering the movie Needful Things, and Josh is leading our discussion. I sure am. And for those of you wondering, no, Ben is not recording from the bottom of a hole in the studio, shouting (laughs) up to his microphone. Uh, Due to the uh, recent spike in COVID, we are taking a step back, trying to be a little safer, be a little more cautious, uh, especially in our community. So Ben is recording with us remotely from his bedroom. I have crippling anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, if this isn't your first episode listening to us, then uh, our listeners already know that, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that is definitely canon. Yeah. Uh, Well, so, you know, let's get into it. Ben, uh, was Needful Things, the film, good for your anxiety? Jesus fuck, man. (laughs) I don't know where to begin. Uh, I I was nine minutes into the movie before I had to text you guys, because you guys <laughs> at least had a, the benefit of watching it in the same room together. Right. I watched it at home with my cat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was nine minutes in before I had to text you guys. I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much, there's so much wrong with it. Like it does, it does some things well, and there are some things I really I, liked and we'll get into all of it, but Man, it misses the mark a couple times. I felt like we should start right from right from the top. Acknowledge that this movie did have an impossible task. Absolutely. There's no world where this movie could be as good as the book, I don't think. But the levels on which they fuck it up are... <laughs> baffling and numerous yeah there are absolutely there are a number of concessions that you know they do something and i'm like all right i can see why they did that that makes sense for Mm. for cramming as much as they could into two solid hours my biggest struggle is i'm so we just watched this and now we're recording and i'm trying to figure out how i would feel about the movie if i had not read the book and I wasn't yeah. able to infer so many other things that made some choices and some moments pop out, whereas maybe they wouldn't have if I didn't know what was going on. Or if this would I, even make sense. I had the same thought. I was like trying to think. And I, I wish I could have convinced my uh, my girlfriend to sit down and watch it with me. Because I kept thinking, I'm like, if I hadn't read this book, would I have any clue what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I don't think I would. But Megan, of course, refused to watch it. She was like, I, I started it off by saying, hey, want to watch this terrible movie with me? Which is a <laughs> Solid bad sell. sell. Yeah. It's no Tommy uh, knockers. <laughs> uh, 
she she the only part she saw was the scene between Brian Rusk and uh Sheriff Pangborn. Oh my god. In which Brian Rusk tearfully yells, I have to go. I have to go to hell. <laughs> and uh she laughed and walked away. <laughs> Uh, if I also could have laughed and walked away, I might have. See, I think this is this is a real problem when the three of us aren't together. It's it's just not the same watching the movie. Yeah, it would definitely would have been. Uh, you would have. I think you would have liked it more if you were with us. Okay, now from what I've said so far, you you know I have this problem where sometimes I say things that don't match up to what I think about them because <laughs> this t- movie is awful. I kind of liked it. <laughs> there, yeah, just, I, I get it. Just for the amount of times it made me go, wait, what? Wait, what? Like back to back to back. Uh, it it Let, kept me entertained. Let's get into some of these wait, what moments that uh, I also <laughs> shared with you. Uh, first thing, not a huge deal, but they in the credits, Amanda Plummer gets the as Nettie in the credits, which I felt was weird. I think she was a big deal uh, at that time. Was she? She was also the best part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just strange. Arguably a character that is only in half the movie <laughs> to be credited. Yeah, she was get the as. She was like third or fourth build in the credits. And I think maybe it's because maybe she got the as Nettie because she was the only person in the movie to try a main accent. (laughs) (laughs) She nailed it. That was her reward. I thought, though, you were going to say maybe she was the only person who could play Nettie. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. She did an amazing (laughs) job. I think she was maybe the only correct cast actor in this whole movie. Because everyone else, I went, no, immediately, (laughs) immediately when they walked on screen, except for maybe Ed Harris. You can never not. Ed Harris could be in everything. I'd watch it. He's a great actor. I'm not sure about some of his Alan choices, which we'll get into. Like, I really want to talk about the acting in this. Uh, So the the intro of this movie, we we see just aerial shots of Maine, and then suddenly a driverless car appears on the road, which was pretty cool, as Gaunt arrives into town. And we kind of just see little glimpses of the town. For some reason, they changed uh, Polly from having a sewing shop with a fun, clever name to a diner owner, and it's just called The Dot? Yeah, I guess. They just... They're like, we don't need Nan. Let's cut that character. <laughs> they just combined Nan and Polly. <laughs> I guess, yeah. We see them peeking through, looking at needful things that's across the street. Once we have Brian Rusk come up to the house and go inside and you see the inside of needful things, I thought it kicked ass. The set of needful things is awesome. Are you okay? I need to know what CM's opinion on this is. Do you agree? First, I I was a little thrown off by what I was imagining not quite being what we saw, because this Needful Things is within the shopping district, but it's not like kind of that strip. It's a house that is being converted into a shopping center. 
And so it reminded me of some of the places we have around the Quad Cities, which are more quaint. And you have those strips. And then one is like an old mansion. And I thought the house itself was really cool looking. And I think what you're asking about comes up for me more when Gaunt's like jerking off about all the deeds by himself. (laughs) (laughs) This might be my problem. And it's a problem with the whole movie is the book is so good. And I had such concrete visions of what these people and these places looked like. I'm not always the best at that of like being able to really visualize completely, like especially spaces or like buildings or rooms or whatever. But I have such a concrete idea of what needful things the store looks like in my head that when Brian Rusk walked in and it was just a fucking house, (laughs) I was like, what's going on? Where is this? It it was just wrong to me. (laughs) I don't know. I I thought the house was cool. Like it, it gave it a different feel, but it still gave it its own feel. It gave me the feeling that one of the producers had a house <laughs> and was like, we can just shoot here. Like, we don't need to get a storefront set. Uh, we'll just shoot it in my old shitty house. <laughs> and good enough. I do like, since we don't get that uh, Stephen King intro of the little stuff around town, I do like that they, the way they kind of peppered it in, you know, Brian comes in and they spy on, Turkey farmer, Wilma Jerzyk. <laughs> Why? Uh, acting like a fucking psychopath <sighs> out front, which is great. The one thing, the first thing that really jumped out to me was that Gaunt looks at Brian and says, you've been here before. Yeah, that was weird. It's like, have you been there before, Gaunt? Within Brian's uh, lifetime? There, there were a few lines like this where they took lines directly from the book that were not dialogue in the book, but were really cool lines and they turn them into dialogue Mm -hmm. and it makes no goddamn sense. Here's what kind of makes sense about it. Jumping really far in we, there's a point where Gaunt says, tells Alan, I'm going to hang out with your grandkids someday. (laughs) <laughs> just very matter of factly it gives this implication i don't know that gaunt is aware of all time past present and future so is this a oh you've been here before oh wait in the timeline this is when we first meet but there's it it doesn't elaborate on that i yeah you're pulling a cm really hard here (laughs) wow i am so impressed right now and shocked that i disagree with you because they because they don't uh, that would be really cool and that would make sense and i would enjoy that but they don't do enough of it to make that make sense and fit there Oh, I 100% agree. I just, I feel like that might have been what they were shooting for, and they Mm. didn't quite land it. So Brian uh, gets the Mickey Mantle card that we all know he's after. (laughs) Are we? Yeah, why? I'm sorry. I don't even give a shit about who's on the card. I just want to talk about the special effects. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, fair. What was your reaction to the moment where brian touches the card for the first time and raiden arrives 
I <laughs> it's curious how many different ways they used to show us the audience that something supernatural is happening. So first, as soon as Brian touches the card, the lightning effect <laughs> goes off. And then there's this very jarring, like almost jump scare quality sound effect. And then like his head jerks back, but there's sort of a, a, a crossfade of something else happening. And then we go into his vision. And this keeps happening every time somebody comes into contact with their needful thing. And every time I jumped, but not in like that, oh, wow, just that, why so many things? <laughs> Pick one. What did you guys think? Uh it didn't help also in my uh, copy, I guess. I don't know what the deal with the sound mixing was, but all of the dialogue was whisper quiet, and then everything else was the loudest thing in the world. <laughs> oh, no. So they were like, oh, yeah, Mickey Mantle. You love Mickey Mantle, don't you? And I was like, Mickey Mantle, what the heck? Ah, <laughs> lightning sound effect. <laughs> No, ours, just that blew was just out yours. all the windows in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so after we have this, what could have been a, a charming negotiation on the price and Brian Rusk buys this card and we get him doing his deed, the things that we all know, we cut over to the worst proposal in history. <laughs> Be before we uh, <laughs> get to the baffling changes of Alan Pangborn, during the sequence of Brian buying the card, the first thing that made me go, this is interesting, maybe they're going somewhere with this, is that Gaunt performs sleight of hand with the yeah. card. Yeah, that was awesome. It was really cool, and it made me go, how is this going to tie into the sleight of hand that Alan does? throughout the book uh it, it's like an interesting parallel between these two and maybe it's setting up the the big you know magic finale <laughs> nope <laughs> it's never brought up again you uh, you tell me does ed, does ed harris look like a guy who does sleight of hand ed harris looks like the kind of guy who would try to pull a rabbit out of a hat and accidentally rip the hat in half with yes. his giant meaty hands. I was going to say, and would scream in the rabbit's face. <laughs> <laughs> he does so much yelling. So we briefly go over to the diner and we see the worst proposal in the history of ever. And, uh, you know, bad just on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's the most apathetic proposal in the history of film, I think. And I wonder if that is why Polly seemed so hesitant and confused, or I was like, are they even dating in the story? <laughs> they have no chemistry. Zero. There is no chemistry whatsoever between Alan and Polly. They might as well have been filming their scenes together separately. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is wooden and so far away from the Polly and Alan that we know from the book. First of all, how did you guys feel about the characterization of Alan? My, my question is, would either of you describe Alan, book Alan, as a, a tough guy? No. I picture him as someone who 
without fail, shows grace under pressure. No matter what is happening, he is able to keep his head. Absolutely. It's the biggest problem I have with the movie. The way they change Alan's backstory, and by change, I mean completely destroy. <laughs> he doesn't have <laughs> they a completely backstory. Remove it. Yeah. No, he does have a backstory uh, that they go over when he has tea with Mr. Gaunt. That scene from the book we all love. (laughs) His backstory is not he this tragic backstory of a dead family. He's a pretty seems like he's a pretty happy guy when we first meet him with Polly. No, his backstory is he moved to Castle Rock because he punched a dude to death. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess I forgot about that because it was so not much different from how he acts the rest of the movie. So it didn't, it just yeah. didn't even come up in my brain. I was just like, eh, he's kind of a, uh, seems a little bit unhinged, like jumps to anger pretty quickly. I, and Ed Harris did a great job. Like he was, I think everybody was acting their asses off, except for Polly. She was just yes. being sultry. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is that Alan, Alan and Gaunt meeting face to face. I was so distracted by the fact that that should never ever happen that I don't think I listened to a single thing in that scene because the whole point is he should be scared because even if we let's forego any of the dark half stuff because obviously how do you tie that into this movie but the point is Alan is smart and he would see some things up like he would see through gaunt and that's why gaunt should be afraid of him gaunt's not afraid of a fucking thing this entire movie he's cool as a cucumber (laughs) the the one thing that i really liked that they changed is uh after all this stuff we see gaunt a close-up of gaunt's hands and his gnarly disgusting fingernails that weren't there before yeah and he pulls out his little black book and he flips open the page from Akron, which is where he said he came from, turns the page, writes Castle Rock and writes Brian Rusk on it. I I really liked that touch, that inventory of his. Yeah, that was cool. He I that Gaunt was a cool dude. Like the the character, the actor playing him, he was Really? I liked him, yeah. I thought he had intensity and charm. I have to disagree again. Look, Max von Sydow is Max von Sydow. Fantastic actor. I don't know if it was the wardrobe department's fault or what. You didn't what, like his sloppy the, suits? <laughs> the first scene <laughs> that he shows up when Brian Rusk is walking through the weird house and he turns a corner and gaunts there. I said, nope out loud to an empty room to my cat because he's just like a schlubby dude. This is another case of me. I know exactly what Leland Gaunt looks like in my head and it's not that. Okay. Another, another big change. How did it feel uh, seeing so much Gaunt outside of needful things? Oh yeah. I didn't like that. Him being outdoors just feels wrong. It it takes away some of the mystery. The word I kept saying to Josh as we were watching was subtlety. Where, where <laughs> is it? It's certainly not yeah. in Buster. 
okay, that, Buster but that is was fine. all in. Buster is crazy from the start and <laughs> watching him yeah. bust in and slam Norris into the mirror was everything I wanted it to be. Watching Buster Fantastic. bust. <laughs> also, Buster's got a bust. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. Um, fun fact: uh, the guy that plays Norris Ridgewick. Do you guys recognize him from for anything? I don't know what because but we have seen him before on this podcast. What? Where? He played uh, at least according to IMDb. I'm gonna sound like a real asshole if this is wrong. <laughs> But according to IMDb, he played the soldier in the stand that gets oh. the virus uh, out of Charlie? the Campion. 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 Yeah. yeah. I knew it was a CH. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that's that. Cool. Uh, I also think Norris Ridgewick was the other character that was cast very well. Yeah. I liked mm-hmm. him he was, a lot. He was a great, like, wiener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, another casting that I really liked, Hugh Priest. Yeah. Yes. He nailed it. Yes. I, I do like, um, one of the major changes that I like is they cut the foxtail thing and they decided to go with a varsity letter jacket. I think that plays better on screen than a foxtail. It it kind of sure. encapsulates like all of what that foxtail meant. And uh, during his flashback of him riding in the car, you still see a foxtail mm-hmm. on the aerial. I of, totally uh, missed that. Driving. Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. Anyway, what were we talking about, Buster? Because <laughs> oh, he's I was great. talking that yeah, that Buster was crazy. I kept I, saying he's I, a cartoon I, character, and I love it. <laughs> Before he's even, like, really in the grip of it, before he even meets Gaunt, he's just drinking in the Mellow Tiger and turns to Henry Beaufort and is like, <laughs> you know, they replaced the mirrors with cameras, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> At first, I was I was frustrated by that scene. And then I'm like, oh, wait, how are they going to show us that? As it happens in the book, it's more of an internal monologue thing. So I was like, yeah, I'm I'm down. <laughs> I, I greatly enjoyed that they were just like, nah, Buster was always nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's another thing that happens a few times in this movie that I was really excited about at first, and then I got really bummed out. Uh, one of them being that when we get the a montage of all these people coming in and buying things from Gaunt on his big opening day, we see him wrapping one of his products in newspaper to keep it safe as he packages it. And we paused it, and the headline of that paper says, 100 to 400 killed as dam breaks. And I thought, that's so cool. If you didn't pay attention, he wraps all of them in tragedies. Yeah. And that's so cool. But then at the end, they like really beat you over the head with it, with a <laughs> giant stack of papers. Subtlety, I, I thought that scene was so stupid. <laughs> Alan... <laughs> Alan breaks into Needful Things and in the basement finds just a big stack of old newspapers. And all of them are like, Kennedy assassinated (laughs) and plague breaks out, question mark. And he's just like, Uh, Gaunt did it all. (laughs) It is so... See, and that's another thing that kind of frustrates me about the changes. Because it's like, obviously they were using the papers as sort of a catch-all for... Alan figuring stuff out because like you said, Josh, we don't have the dark half piece of it that Mm -hmm. explains to us why Alan would 
kind of have this supernatural intuition of Gaunt. And it doesn't, it just doesn't work if you're familiar with the book. And again, I wonder if not you're not familiar with the book, it, if you're like, how does he make that connection? No, it doesn't work if you aren't <laughs> familiar with the book because it's such an insane leap of logic where he finds a paper that says like tornado kills 20. And he's like, God damn it, Gaunt, you've done it again. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of dark half, shockingly, the Dark Half movie came out the same year as this. Really? Can you believe that? No. no. Why didn't Michael Rooker play Pangborn again? Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, imagine if this had been done as a sequel to that would have been the cool. Timothy Hutton. That uh, would have been oh, cool as shit. Romero. Yeah. Ben, I asked Josh about this, and I want to know what you think of it. Because we were talking about that. Not that, but we are talking about Timothy Hutton. I think Timothy Hutton, as we do, <laughs> uh, Timothy Hutton, as he is now, because he would have been too young, would make a really cool gaunt. I'm behind Just his, on his my intensity. Timothy Hutton lore. <laughs> uh, I don't know what he looks like now. I just mean an older Timothy Hutton. I feel like he could pull off creepy gaunt. Yeah, I definitely see that. He's fucking, if I remember correctly, tall enough. That's yeah. another thing. Max von Sydow is just a short little dude i i imagine <laughs> gaunt as lanky and yeah i thought he brought a nice level of intensity and sort of like um old world kind of i don't know like he's different from the townspeople i thought he did a good job of that yeah he was fine <laughs> uh what did you guys think of the of brian pulling his pranks he why turkeys though easy shit gathering they're, sure. the, they're the easiest bird to gather their shit. I don't, Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, I don't know why it mattered that Wilma was a turkey farmer. Anyway, <laughs> Josh and I decided that the only thing that made sense for the apples was that Brian froze them. Yeah, those apples are made of solid granite. They are rock apples. Because he okay. throws it through, like, first it has to break through the window and then it also shatters a microwave. So, okay, we should go first. He does the sheets. Obviously, she's on a turkey farm. He throws turkey poop mud. <laughs> um, this, <laughs> Wilma walking into the sheets made me laugh so hard. <laughs> that was really funny. Because it's the middle of the day. And yeah. she turns a corner and just... <laughs> walks face first into a sheet that she couldn't have not seen. Um, but then, yeah, the second prank, they change it from rocks to green apples, which is actually one of the changes I think was really cool. It was super yeah. awesome because Nettie yeah. bakes the best apple pie. Mm -hmm. uh, because Polly now runs a diner. Nettie works there and makes apple pies with green apples. And I thought that was a really cool clue and just visually mm -hmm. the surreal quality of watching a kid chuck a bunch of apples at a house was much more visually interesting than just like rocks oh yeah for sure see this moment the the apples in particular set up a series of things that i was like i like this i like this i hate it mm -hmm. so we're gonna go through that real quick <laughs> Brian with the apples and he hears the baseball announcer. Yeah. There's that little voiceover mm -hmm. uh, like going over him doing it. I was like, that's cool. That's real subtle. That's not Raiden from Mortal Kombat. 
I love yeah. it. The next thing is the setup of winning ticket when they sit out down and play it and Buster is hearing the horse racing mm-hmm. and all of those sounds are all there. I was like, yes, this is awesome. Then it cuts to Leland Gaunt sitting in a room full of stuff with scotch in front of a fire. And I got real mad. I did not that, like that change of him like living in decadence. You know, I did not even think <laughs> of that. <laughs> I'm, Oddly enough. I'm still struggling with it because I feel like I'm trying to decide. I assume they did that because visually maybe that's more impactful because as things are falling apart around town. He's sort of in this cozy area, but I would it have been creepier if we cut to him just in an empty room jerking off. (laughs) (laughs) I think if we keep thinking about trying to think about this in terms of people who have not read the book, I think if they had cut to Leland Gaunt standing in an empty room, it would have been, inexplicable like it would have been too out there's no way to it's the reason that vision of like leland standing in his upstairs window and the room being empty is because like we understand Mm -hmm. that's it that i don't know we 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 have a there's a better feeling of like space in the book than there is in the movie i feel like if we would have seen him standing in an empty room i would have went where the fuck is he (laughs) yeah because there's a number of times in this movie the the worst part of this movie is the direction i want to talk about that for a second (laughs) because uh, first of all there are a number of times in the movie where the shots uh, might as well be a community theater production. There's the scene where Wilma and Nettie are in Needful Things and get into their first argument, and it's literally four people standing in a line yeah. yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Terrible. There's a scene where Alan is in Buster's office and they're arguing about something. Oh, yeah, it's the scene where Buster just admits to embezzling to the sheriff of the town. Which was wild. (laughs) And then it cuts to Polly outside just on a weird stairway. Just walking down on the pier for no reason? Yeah, and then cuts to Leland Gaunt just in a place we have no frame of <laughs> reference and that whole sequence i was like where are these people i don't know where these people are so i think an empty room during the sequence would have just been like he might as well be in a different country mm-hmm. uh, they had to put, put him in some place that looked like a place <laughs> so this is the biggest problem i think is a lot of the book is about perception versus reality. Mm. There is zero of that, but there's so much opportunity. We see everybody, mm-hmm. something that's so cool is everyone sees another person's needful thing as garbage. Everyone in this movie sees Hugh Priest's jacket as this letterman's jacket. Alan mm. Pangborn picks up the autographed Mickey Mantle card that says to Brian. And, and he's like, neat. Yeah, super great. <laughs> But and there's a moment uh, after the Nettie Wilma uh, combat, which we'll get to that Brian goes up to try to talk to Alan and, you know, doesn't. And he turns and starts running away and then Gaunt 
cuts him off. It cuts to Alan looking up and seeing them standing next to each other. What I wanted was for Brian to have stopped in his tracks because Leland's right there. For Alan to turn and just see Brian standing facing no one. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing they could have done with the room. They could have had somebody on the street look in and see Leland in a room full of things cut to inside. He's in a bare ass room. Like there are so many of those little opportunities that would have taken no time. It would have made the scene between Alan and Brian more impactful too if he had picked it up and he's like, so and so shitty baseball Who's player. Who's Sandy Koufax? That's you know, what? cool. And and then <laughs> what Brian would have to say about Gaunt would have made the audience feel uh, Alan was more justified <laughs> in <laughs> thinking he was the devil. Yeah. Well, and yeah. something uh, else that I think is missing is that Gaunt. To me, when we read it, Gaunt seemed like a person who is exhausted of eternity. Like, he yeah. does this. Like, it's fun, but he doesn't have, like, he gets a kick out of it, but he's kind of doing it to fill up eternity. And this movie Gaunt is just so excited about doing all this. He's so happy. And, it, like, I just don't feel like, I feel like that gravity was missing. I like the Gaunt who's doing this literally just to fill time yes (laughs) (laughs) all right let's uh what'd you guys think of the uh netty decorating buster's house i actually really liked that (laughs) this was my favorite scene in the movie did the the music make it feel too silly though yes (laughs) all of them the soundtrack to this movie is another thing that is terrible like yeah i didn't like the score no, like even from the very beginning with the weird, like shitty, um, oh God, what's his name? John Williams knockoff <laughs> flying over the rock <laughs> to, yeah, everything was just either too bombastic or yeah, it, it didn't work. But Ned, uh, who's the woman that plays Nettie again? Amanda Plummer. Plummer. Yeah. Her, her acting as Nettie. I I can't say enough (laughs) about how good she is. Her manic running around the house. There's a scene where she runs into the kitchen and is putting them all over the cabinets. And she does this one where she just like slaps her hand and she doesn't even get like the thing on the wall. She just like slaps at the wall a few times before she gets it on there. It's fantastic i love her her string of them that were all taped together that remind me of when you're doing your your turkey hand cut out yeah. paper <laughs> and you pull them open she looked uh, it was nice to see Nettie just really enjoying herself <laughs> yeah and her escape from the house that was, was the best shot sequence of the movie Except for you have to believe that uh, Buster wouldn't hear the running and slamming of the doors around him. <laughs> well, yeah, it requires a little bit of uh, suspension of disbelief. Yeah. But just the way the camera follows her through the house and her and Buster just missing each other looked very cool. Yeah. The uh, Nettie comes home, uh, finds Raider skinned the, instead of stabbed. The- Buck, you're just going to barrel into that yeah because i don't there's no subtlety to bring that in i don't want to tease around it that actually 
That was rough to look at. That was yes. harder to watch that scene than to read in the book. I did not expect the dog to be skinned. No. That's what it's, she threatens in Needful Things, though. Would That's what made it make uh, sense. Yeah, I can't. It, it's so much more brutal than anything else that happens in this movie. It is almost from a scarier, possibly better horror movie. I wonder if there was more of that in there. And I, I didn't look about look into the production or anything, but I wonder if they had to cut out other stuff and like saved that one because that was like really impactful. There is actually a different cut of this movie that got played as a um, two part miniseries on TBS. I think it was had an additional hour of content that was cut for the movie, including uh, more stuff about Myra Evans, who we only mm-hmm. see uh, at the very end of the movie. She's never named, but it's never been released in America. It's only a special feature on like the German Blu-ray version of the movie. Interesting. Well, for our German fans, uh, if any Germany fans want to track that down and send it to us, I'll watch it. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do a bonus episode on yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so yes, that is... Also, I don't like that Hugh Priest is way fine after this. Okay, let's let's talk about the scene that we couldn't stop talking about in the book. The fight between Nettie and Wilma. What did you guys think of this adaptation of that fight? I wish it had taken place in the street, um, because that would have upped the ante a little bit if other people were witnessing this and these two women just did not care and then the again they they kind of robbed this scene it's still really cool it's very actiony but they robbed it of what makes it emotionally brutal because they deal each other those killing blows immediately in the book and it's over as soon as it starts but then they keep fighting and you're you just don't have any hope for them because you're like yep this is it and in the movie version it's played out more like a typical fight scene where maybe somebody's gonna come out of this okay and yeah she stabbed her but she could probably survive that but i i mean i didn't hate it i just liked the way it was written more i agree uh that the book it is it's so fast and open that it it is not just gory it is like emotionally jarring i completely agree with that hard to do that on screen maybe (laughs) but this scene fucking rules (laughs) it's so good the way that Nettie just shows up Mm -hmm. in wilma's house that was really cool wilma grabs the knife and you're like oh here it goes they're they're gonna meet up and she turns and Nettie's just there like a (laughs) slasher has the craziest eyes (laughs) is doing such good crazy eyes and there's this prolonged knife fight sequence that has i think my favorite bit in the movie which is they're having a knife fight that takes them all over Wilma's house and they are trashing it and they are chopping at each other and stabbing at each other. They end up going upstairs and they're hiding and then it suddenly cuts 
to Peter, <laughs> who is uh, not like the the whipped little wiener boy that we got in the book. He's just like a dumb redneck turkey farmer. <laughs> so we we are having this like brutal standoff, and it cuts to Peter standing in the yard, framed in this like weird, like far away off-kilter frame and he just goes wilma you see this windows are bust <laughs> yeah. and then it cuts back to the fight and it is <laughs> hilarious it is really <laughs> great can i tell you guys the sound i hear in my head every time i saw him on screen what <laughs> do 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 <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't have a care in the world. That's that is true. <laughs> Very, I, I love, he's yeah. just there. And you're like, why is that guy there? And he, I love it. He sees the, uh, Nettie tackles Wilma out of a second story window down the roof onto the ground where the cleaver is now lodged in her head. And the knife is through Wilma. That was sweet. Yeah. <laughs> just right in front of Peter too. And he's like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> The moment after this that I really liked, though, was they flashed to later that night with the crime scene. And in the book, they have the, the funerals, the, du- yeah. the, the dueling funerals. But this time, Father Brigham is kneeling and he's saying a prayer. And then Steamboat Willie shows up. And it goes from a eulogy to a duology. A real duology. Real. (laughs) I wish I'd thought of that. (laughs) And it's so passive aggressive the way these two priests over two dead bodies try to out eulogize the other. It's it's unsettling. Mm -hmm. I did love that. Mm -hmm. Way more effective than doing it the way it was done in the book on screen. it it really shows they don't acknowledge each other, but their intensity, it's very unsettling. I loved it. Another major change. We alluded to it a little bit earlier, but the Pangborn and Brian final confrontation. And in the end, Pangborn saves Brian. How did you guys feel about that change? I'm fine with a little boy not committing suicide successfully, honestly. (laughs) And we we did have the dog thing, which was very jarring for me. So I kind of took that away as my oof moment. And I thought, okay, I know, Ben, you were laughing. And I figured you would be because I thought it was really intense. And that's kind of how this usually works. (laughs) But I thought the scene between them was appropriately tense. Like, I didn't know if he was going to actually successfully commit suicide. That's true. And Alan, you know, it. He, I thought they both played it well. And that kid seemed tore up. So I was a little bit relieved. Like, thank goodness. They definitely made us wait to find out that he didn't successfully do that? Well, I, I also might have been more free to uh, have a few chuckles at the overacting because my longtime listeners know I watch every movie with IMDb open. And I did have it spoiled that mm. he uh, 
does not die of suicide. Okay. So I had that tenseness uh, a little alleviated. Hmm. No, yeah, you're, you're right. It's uh, an 11 year old didn't kill himself. So <laughs> we'll call that Thumbs a win. Up. Yeah. All right. Uh, as the movie escalates, just like the book, we get into some of the other classic face-offs that have been changed uh, a little bit. Uh, so I'm I'm going to start with you, Ben. What did you think about the final Buster Norris fight? I really liked it. There, Alan and Norris are at the police station. Yeah. And they hear a commotion and it's Buster crashing into <laughs> uh, Norris's VW bug. Awesome. Which uh, was great. They kept that. But it's it's pretty much the same scene where they they handcuff Norris to his car and then Alan runs Buster. off to go deal. Handcuffs with Buster to his car. What did I say? You said Norris. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, anyway, uh, playback, guys. I think I'm right. Um, <laughs> they handcuff Buster to the car and Alan runs off to deal with whatever he had to deal with. He runs off to deal with Polly, not town stuff. Right. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, I hate this because after Alan runs off, Norris goes, well, what do we have here? Well, looks like it's finally time. And he pulls his gun. And this is after Norris had got the the mousetrap which I thought was done very well. That was really he, clever. He flips out and slaps the mousetrap around the room, <laughs> which was great. Another cop gets the great line of, well, you should have read the note first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very funny. But he pulls his gun on Buster, and I'm like, what the fuck? This is not Norris Rid- Ridgway. Right. I hate this character characterization. And he pulls his gun, and he starts aiming it at him, at him and Buster's like begging. And Norris pulls the trigger and it clicks and he just goes gotcha and that was extremely norris <laughs> I love that's that. so irresponsible though. it really He's is an officer come on <laughs> fair but i i thought it was very funny not as funny as when buster beats knocks him out and goes, nyang, 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 nyang. <laughs> I, he kicks him in the dick and then grabs <laughs> the back of his head and rams it into the side of his car. The physical violence in this movie is top notch. Yeah, it is. All of the fighting <laughs> and like people getting punched and knocked into stuff. I loved all of the violence. I thought it was done super well. All right, let's uh, let's jump to another uh, classic face off. CM. What did you think of Polly versus Gaunt? I knew you were going to make me talk about this. I'm so angry. I knew you'd have the most to say about it. Oh, my God. Polly goes to... No, Polly doesn't go. Gaunt comes to her again, which I I don't care for, but whatever. And then she comes to Gaunt. No, it's... Sorry. no. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. (laughs) Okay, he gives her the Azka. Am I saying that right? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) And uh, he unbuttons her blouse, which is clue one, and puts it between her bosom. And as soon as it touches her, we have the, 
you know, five different effects to signify that she's having some sort of vision. Her vision isn't of her arthritis going away. (laughs) It's not that her hands are no longer stiff. Rather, something else unexpected is stiff in this scene. Ah! And it is Leland Gaunt because she sees the two of them getting it on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> One of the many, many, many. Wait, what? Should <laughs> Moments. I, should I just wrap up this whole? Yeah, oh, part? yeah. Please do, because okay. we need to get it out of the way. All right. So I never have to think of <laughs> what Max Sidow's flabby grandpa body might look like. <laughs> it's not his fault he's old. So they come together again later. Because Polly has ripped the necklace off and then her hands. And I thought that was a cool scene. Like she did a good job of, of responding to her arthritis coming back all at once. And then, I, I know, I know Ben hated it. He laughed. You laughed, didn't you? I 1000% <laughs> laughed at <laughs> uh, what's her name? Bonnie. Uh, no, Bon. Yeah, it's Bonnie something. It's last name starts with the B2. I I one thousand percent laughed at Bonnie Bedelia's fantastic arthritis acting. I only laughed when it looked like she was gonna bite her thumb off. Yeah, that was a little strange. She totally did. She very slowly brings her hands on the screen and then looks like she's trying to eat them. Okay, that's funny. And this is, I wonder if this was the direction she was given to play her character, which was constantly sort of in a state of some kind of seduction. Even when Alan's proposing to her, she seems confused, but like all of her motions and facial expressions seem like she's trying to be super sexy. And that scene only solidified that for me because it's like she's in all this pain and now she's going to bite her finger and then right after that gaunt appears in her bedroom and tells her to put it back on and then uh get a lot of boob and nipple and they're on the bed together and they have a, a passionate a passionate boning which makes me question at the end when he's like I'm going to meet your grandson, Alan, because you and Polly are going to get married and have babies if he's not going to meet his own grandson. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I was like, is he implying that he impregnated Polly when they they had their gross moment? <laughs> uh, okay, so also, yeah, in the lead up, while Gaunt is, I guess, seducing her... Yes. Gross. He's giving the speech that has, it's another one of these moments where they took stuff directly from the book, like lines directly from the book, because he's saying the, oh, don't you want, uh, want your pride? Your, isn't there, your, there's nothing like having your pride without which your purse would be empty. But none of it makes any sense. We've seen nothing about Polly to show that she's prideful in this movie. She is not the, a character. She's not a character. Yeah. That's I didn't see her as seductive. I saw her character as someone under low grade anesthetic the whole movie. <laughs> like <laughs> 
No, she, I, I felt it, like she was trying there. to be sultry. I don't know if it worked, yeah. but it, it was weird. It was a weird choice, and I, that's why I thought maybe that was the direction she was given because of this, uh, this romantic subplot. <laughs> I guess, but yeah, they they cut out the whole Kelton storyline. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have any secrets because that would make her a character. <laughs> and no, her her and Alan's undoing is that Gaunt convinces her that he's embezzling with Buster. Which okay, fine. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Okay, okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just remembered. There is uh, they they changed so much. I was baffled. I was confused through most of the movie, but at no point. Was I more shocked than when Leland Gaunt says the line, Alan's been embezzling. It's true. Check his boat. (laughs) (laughs) I had to stop the movie and go, did he just say check his boat? (laughs) What? You can't. Why are they introducing a third act boat? It, I, it, uh, it, oh, who knows? He's also not a character. Anyway, can, can we wrap this up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the town falls into the chaos. We we all know, kind of. Like, the, there's still, like, Henry Beaufort and Hugh Priest shoot each other in the bar. That's still really cool. No Ace Merrill. No Ace Merrill. Uh, but they, after... Bummer. After Buster murders his wife with a hammer, which was a great transition from her being scared to a hammer with hair and blood on it Ooh. going into the sink, thought that was great. Uh, it tr- it suddenly turns Buster into a sympathetic hero at the end of this movie. Which, it, it made why? sense at the end why they tried to shoehorn sympathy in. I don't think they were successful, but Josh no. and I were like, why are they making him sympathetic yeah, now he, he's having this full-on breakdown sorry go on i'm just upset <laughs> by the ending he's having this full-on breakdown uh planting bombs while still crying and <laughs> uh alan shows up and he's in the middle of the street and the town's going crazy around him the rioting and alan's answer is to do the 10 seconds on the clock Fourth down, everyone take a knee, inspirational coach speech to the town. And that's how we're going to defeat Leland Gaunt. He does. He literally saves the day by giving a stern dad lecture. (laughs) I would argue, though, he is not the hero. The hero is our sympathetic, suddenly, character, Buster, who is strapped with bombs himself and decides to sacrifice himself by leaping into Gaunt and pressing the trigger. Yeah. He tackles, he tackles Gaunt through the window of needful things, sets off the bomb It all explodes. And I I looked over to see him and I was like, I just really want Leland Gaunt to walk out, brushing himself off completely unharmed because that was the dumbest thing to try to kill mm-hmm. this m- clearly maniacal who <laughs> Alan literally says he thinks this is the devil. Yeah. And then Leland Gaunt <laughs> does just that. He goes like walking out, clothes not even burnt, brushing his shoulders off, and he looks around and he just goes, 
admittedly, this is not my best work. It's like you just <laughs> had a bad day at work. Yeah, they 1000% do not stop Leland gone. In the in the book, you have the feeling of him being foiled. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get the souls. Uh, Alan saves the souls uh, that he was going to take. And even though he's still alive, he at least lost. In this one, Leland comes out and he's like, well, your town's blown up. So, uh, peace. <laughs> I guess I'm going to see you in 2065? What? <laughs> also, let's, And then he oh, drives off. <laughs> also, let's focus on the fact that, like, Alan brings the town together as though no one's consequences are going to have any repercussions. I The only thing I liked about this scene is that he calls out the deed thing. He's like, what did yeah. you do? What did you do? Did you do this? And I thought that was an, a fine way to show the audience what all of those were because we only saw the really big ones. So I was fine with that, but I didn't feel, and again, I don't think this is the actor's fault because he was doing a good job acting. He just wasn't acting mm-hmm. the Alan Pangborn that I know. I, I, oh God, it finally clicked. The ending of this movie reminds me of the ending of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hmm. In that. The villain, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. In that the villain leaves pretty much unharmed and leaves the normal humans in the wake of the mess they made. And then the wife is gonna have to, the lady's gonna have to admit <laughs> oh, that she fucked the alien. <laughs> and like that, we don't see how that conversation, if, if you had watched this car drive away and it had panned back to uh, Alan <laughs> and Polly in cabaret outfits laying in the grass, I would have been like, yeah, that's how this ends. I, I, that did just make me think of if it had gone back and everyone was literally standing in the burning streets, bloodied, and they all turned to each other and just everyone just simultaneously went, wait, huh? And then it cut to, <laughs> cut, cut to credits. Yep. It would have made just as much sense. <laughs> all right. That, uh, that brings us to the end of talking about the Needful Things movie. I think we've said it all. So let's go around and uh, and rate this bad boy. Who wants to start? This is weird because I think that this movie is probably better than Tommyknockers, but I wasn't as invested in the source material when watching Tommyknockers. So any changes or anything that might have upset the book lover in me who wants to see you know more true adap- adaptations when I'm watching them... That's kind of like, yeah, it's fine. It's cool. Because I love the book so much, I was less forgiving, I think, of some of the changes they made that weren't weren't quite that obvious. Like, oh, they did this because on screen it just works better. Just some weird stuff they did. So that kind of lowered my, my rating, what I was initially going to give it. But then I remembered that they did not make me watch anybody fucking Elvis. and i really appreciated that but then i re-remembered that they did make polly fuck gaunt and that's a little upsetting so i'm gonna have to just for the things they did i don't know i'm so mixed it's nah fuck it uh three out of five blue chambray shirts 
I honest to God thought you were going to say, ah, fuck it. Five out of five. Ben? This movie sucks. I texted you guys so many times. Uh, I believe the, the text that you got that simply said, I fucking hate this movie <laughs> was right after uh, Gaunt and Polly's love scene <laughs> or whatever. Um, it, it's a bad adaptation. It's a bad movie. That being said, I, I liked it. It's fine. Uh, it is completely watchable. Uh, it, it's not like particularly boring. It keep it moves. Uh, there are a few really good uh, performances in it, and um, it's probably fun to watch with friends. <laughs> um, I am gonna have to agree. Uh, three out of five blue chambray shirts. So this, uh, I've said it so many times, this is my favorite book. So watching this movie was just baffling. and just <laughs> baffled at every single turn. Uh, having said that, like, I loved, I loved all the violence. I thought the moments that rang true from the book really hit the way I wanted them to. Uh, I forgive a lot of it for trying to cram the book into a full two hours an impossible feat, as we said earlier. But I would definitely not watch this again unless it was with a group of people to have some goofs on it. So I'm going to give it three out of five blue chambray shirts. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we're going to take a brief detour to have a very special guest on our show. We're going to cover the story Autopsy Room 4 from the book Everything's Eventual with special guest Illegal86 from the Online Warriors podcast. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, don't blame me, blame it on the bossa nova. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Needful Things Part 5, and huge thank you again to our Patreon supporter Joel Jones for making Needful Things happen. And if you want us to read your favorite book, go to our Patreon page to find out how you can make that happen. We would really love to know what you guys think of Needful Things the movie. Tell us on our social media at Dairy Public Radio, or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Visit our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>